0: So in our Bibles to Matthew 26, we did not make it through the chapter last week. We only got up to verse 46. And uh, so we'll start with 47, but I just don't want to jump into the middle of the chapter But without doing a little bit of a review. So let's go back to chapter 26. Again, the first uh, five verses will lay the outline For the time that uh, 26 and 27 is going to take place, came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples. After these sayings, again, is what we call the Olivet Discourse, which is um, Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus is answering the question that the disciples asked about what will be the sign of your coming and what will be the signs of the end of the age. So two questions. Jesus answers the first one second and the second one first. The sign, singular, is the regathering of the nation of Israel. And when they do regather in the last days, we we know, and we've been talking about preterism when we talk about this, because a preterist will tell you that the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, were all fulfilled in 70 AD. And they're right (laughs) with the first two verses. Because in the first two verses, Jesus talks about the temple being destroyed and that happened in 70 AD. But then um, um, I pointed out one way that you can deter a preterist by saying that uh, this can't be the case is by going to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time nor ever will be. And the tragedy that happened in 70 AD was not the greatest tribulation that the world has ever seen nor will see. These are future events. He talks about the abomination of desolation. That's in Daniel chapter nine. Being yet future, he tells Israel where to go when that event takes place. But in order for that to happen, they have to be regathered into the land. So the sign is the parable of the fig tree, the regathering of the nation of Israel. Again, that happened in 1948. They've been back in the land for 70 years. And the generation that sees that happen, we read in verse 34, we'll see all future prophecies fulfilled. In other words, the group of people that is alive that would be us, um, would see the fulfillment of all these things. Now then it goes into the rapture, so we won't be here for the great tribulation, which is much of Matthew 24 talks about, the abomination of desolation. Uh, Don't be deceived by false prophets, false teachers. And um, it goes on to talk about uh, the rapture, I believe, in verse 36. No man knows the day or the hour, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And I often point out, we know the very day that Jesus came the first time, because of Daniel 9 and Nehemiah 2, and we know exactly when he's going to come the second time, because of the last three verses in Daniel Daniel chapter 12. It'll be exactly 1,290 days after this event that Jesus talks about, In Matthew 24, verse 15, the abomination of desolations. So verse 36 can only be a reference to the rapture of the church because the rapture of the church is imminent. That means it could happen at any time. And um, the rest of chapter 25 um, really is uh, an exhortation to make sure you're watching for the signs. Especially as they pertain to the nation of Israel. So, getting back to the first two verses of chapter twenty-six, when Jesus had said these things, finished these things. These things are reference to the Olivet discourse, and then it gives us a time in verse two. You know that after two days is a Passover. So, what we're studying in chapter twenty-six and twenty-seven is two days before Jesus is going to be crucified as the Passover lamb. So that gives us some context for what we went through. Um, Last week, Wednesday night, we talked about the Last Supper, uh, which is in verses 17 uh, through 25. And then we talked about... um, jesus jesus said he would be betrayed in verses twenty through twenty five The passover is prepared in verses seventeen through nineteen and then he tells them that somebody would betray him then in verses thirty one through thirty five um, we pointed out that Jesus predicts um, Peter's denial three times. Of course, Peter's adamant that he would never do that. Verse 35, um, the rest of the disciples were adamant, we would never, Lord, we would never, ever, ever deny you. And uh, suddenly we made the point that I believe Peter was very sincere. I believe he meant what he said. And... um, Last Sunday's message, if you didn't get it, is from verse 41, which says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we had a, a Bible study on, on um, Romans 7. The things we don't want to do, that's what we do. The things we do want to do, those are the things we don't do. And that's the condition when you have the spirit of God living in you and have flesh at the same time that are at battle with each other 24-7. And even though we want to do the right things, we often don't. And when we don't want to, things we do, the bad things we don't want to do, we often do. And it leads to that verse, O wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body? And then it says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. And only in him can we have confidence and as long as we're making sure when we do good things that we're giving the glory back to the Lord, he'll continue to use you. As soon as you start taking the credit for something or the glory for something, it's only a matter of time. And um, you'll, be put on, you'll be put on the shelf because the Bible says he'll share his glory with no one. And uh, that got us to, um, we ended with verse 46 it just seemed like a good place to end the Bible study because it says, rise, let us, let us get up and go. So I thought, that's a good place to end the Bible study. Rise, let's get up and go. But now we're back. <laughs> so let's pick it up with that much of a little review of now Jesus' betrayal. And um, uh, this event this night, verse 47. And we'll stop after we get to verse 49. Verse 49. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is a one. Seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus, said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Now, um, I'm going to stop there and do a little adding too because in another place it says Judas betray us thou be with a kiss so there's a little bit more information to give it there but I'd like to turn to um, John chapter 18 and look at the same account because we have more going on here than what Matthew is telling us Matthew is going to portray the Lord as the Son of Man from a Jewish perspective. John's goal is to show the deity of Jesus. And so he brings out something that the other gospel writers do not when they come to arrest Jesus. Let's pick it up. um, Verse 1 of chapter 18. Now when Jesus... Had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, weapons, Jesus therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, and this is important, he knew what was about to take place, went forward and said to them, who are you looking for? Whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, now I'm reading from the New King James, I am he. And the he is in italics because it's not there in the original writing. He's actually saying, I am. It's the same voice that would have been from the burning bush, I am that I am. Um, Seven times in John's gospel, um, we'll have I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. And so on and so forth. Um, And here's one of the places where he just addresses them with the word I am, and Judas who betrayed him also stood with them. Then when he said, I am, he, the he shouldn't be there, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now this is not in Matthew's account. And, um, you know, Jesus said, no man takes my life. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to raise it up. And I think he's just proving that point right here. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And they all step back and fall down. As far as I know, this is the only place where you can have a biblical being slain in the spirit. <laughs> I can't find another place where it's legit. But what happened here is they all fell down and they should have stayed there. I would have went home at this point. And, but just let that sink in. The Lord is showing them, you guys think you're coming to take me. You're not. We're going to read in Matthew's account when Peter gets a little besides himself and takes off the ear of the high priest's servant. The last miracle Jesus does is stick it back on. He said, Peter, put it away. Don't you think that I could pray for 12 legions of angels right now? And they would, I really don't need your help. <laughs> and all he has to do is speak the word. And he is showing who is in charge. No man took Jesus' life. He laid it down. He has the power to lay it down. He had the power to raise it up again. And John's the only one that really brings us back to us. So verse 7, then he asked him again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I have told you that I am. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way that the saying might be fulfilled which he spoke, of whom you gave me, I have lost none. I want you to count the number of times during the Bible study that we're going to have this has to happen because it is written. And this is just one of them right here. Let's make our way back to uh, Matthew. Only made it through two verses so far. But that's John's account of this. And... um, we find let's pick it up in verse 50 Jesus said unto him friend why have you come then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him and suddenly one of those who were there I don't know if John's tried to protect Peter in the other gospels it comes out and John tells us it was it was Peter that did this um, Jesus stretched out his hand and drew the sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear I can see Peter just sort of waking up from his nap, and seeing this crowd, I think he's a little startled, and um, he just rips out his sword and he starts flaying away. I'm sure he was going for his head, and he missed the, or the guy, you know, did one of these things, and he got his ear and cut it right off. And um, um, the Lord sort of rebukes him, and he, he says in verse 52. Put your sword in its place, for all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Peter, don't you think I cannot now pray to my father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? I went online because I wasn't sure exactly in the Roman times how they classified their legions, only to find out that they did it different from Jesus' time up to 100 A.D., and they changed it again. Uh, they enlarged the legions in about 300 AD, but as close as I could figure out, at least 1,000. So we're talking 12,000 angels to take care of this crowd when Jesus already put them in their place by just speaking his word. And then verse 54 is, again, nothing, can, nothing is going to change Everything that we studied in the Olivet Discord about the abomination of desolation, the rapture of the church, the great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, nothing can change that because of verse 54. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that this must happen thus? And here the Lord is saying everything that's taking place is the very reason I came in, into this world. It has to happen. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Gang, the book you're holding in your hand is the most valuable piece of information that you will ever receive. Somebody just got busted for insider trading on Wall Street. I don't know who it was, but it was on the news. And uh, you know, in the world, that's what it's all about, money and how to get that and have power at the same time. And um, you know, when you're not saved, um, if you can get insider trading, insider information, buy a stock before it soars or sell it before it bombs. You can make money on, on both ends. And um, um, and yet, Jesus said to the to the man who was very, very wealthy, so much so he had to build bigger barns for all of his stuff, and when he was done with this, building his new barn, he just said, kick back, take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And um, the Lord says, you fool, because all your hard work and all that you've done, you don't know that your soul is gonna be required of you this night. Then all of your work and all the things that you've done is gonna mean absolutely nothing. It's gonna belong to somebody else. So the wise thing is what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, seek first the kingdom. Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. And um, again, I don't want to be misunderstood when I talk like this because I think um, Paul's going to later say, if you don't work, you don't eat. I think uh, if you're a Christian, you should be the best worker in your place of employment. People should know you're a Christian. And um, you should... uh, Be the best at what you do because your work is being a witness too. But it should be in second place that you're a Christian first and then then whatever your job title is after that, um, that's the order, seeking first the kingdom. So this, this is a very special scripture to me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled that all the disciples forsook him and fled. Well, go back to uh, chapter 26, verse 31. He says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written. Again, it's scripture. I will strike the shepherd, Jesus, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Well, right now, um, Jesus and John says, okay, you can have me, let the others go. In Mark's gospel, which is really Peter's account, Mark talks about himself, because Mark made a break for it, but evidently he had a robe on, and they got his robe, and he ran away in his fruit of the looms. (laughs) That's what's being implied, and he writes about it because it's really Peter's, I think Peter's um, um, gospel, but Mark is the one who is penning it, but he makes a reference to himself at this point, and when they scatter, because they do all scatter. And so now, that gets us through verse 56. Um, 56, but all this was done that the, by the prophets, that it might be fulfilled. At this point, I would like you to turn to the book of Lamentation. And um, um, Lamentation, if you want to know where to find that, just go to the Major Prophets. And after the prophet Jeremiah, you will find the book of Lamentation. Now, if I'm reading Lamentation and I wasn't told what was in view here, what scripture was being fulfilled, um, I would be reading this and I wouldn't have caught it except for the words, the anointed of the Lord. So in in Lamentations 4, verse 20, it says, "The, The breath of our nostrils... The anointed of the Lord was caught in their pits is actually a reference to them taking Jesus at this point. And I would read right over it if it didn't say um, the anointed of the Lord. Of whom he said under his shadow we shall live among the nations. It's a reference to the Lord, of course. And um, one of the scriptures that he's talking about here in verse 56. Back to Matthew 26. Verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus, now the disciples have scattered, led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priest and the elders and the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they could find none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last two false witnesses came forward and they said, well, this guy said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, I'm going to stop at this point um, because the Lord really isn't saying anything. In the first place, I'd like to go. Now, let's read verse 64. Um, Jesus said, it's as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming of the clouds of the heavens. Let's stop here. I'm going to have you turn to two places. I would like to go to um, Psalm 110. So let's go back to Psalm 110. Jesus is speaking nothing to those who are accusing him verse 63 but Jesus kept silent when he does speak he says it's as you said but hereafter you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and the coming of the clouds of heaven this is a p- partial fulfillment if you're at Psalm 110 verse 1 the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool." And um, this, this is uh, mentioned um, um, in several places, First Corinthians 15 also, uh, Matthew 22, verse 44. And this is what he is quoting to them uh, in Matthew 26. I want to just um, go back to the, where he's, he's holding his, his tongue and... Um, We can go to it now and I'll bring it up a little bit later where he's not speaking. Um, No, I will hold it till later. Okay, let's finish up to verse 68. After the high priest heard the Lord say that he was, then the high priest tore his clothes saying, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat in his face. They beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hand, saying, now this is sarcasm on their part. Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now we leave the interrogation. They got two guys to say, well, I was there when he said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up again. Of course, we know he was talking about the body of his temple and that it would be destroyed. In three days, like I said earlier, he has power to lay it down. He has power to raise it back up again. And, of course, that's what he was making reference to. But all they wanted is anything. And um, the high priest really, and we'll get into this a little bit more in chapter 27, they really don't have the authority to put Jesus to death. Um, They have to go to Pilate. And um, so that is where we're going to when we get to chapter 27. Now, Sunday, this is how we ended our study. We talked about the three denials of Peter. And so now we see what's going on inside. Peter is outside, so we have a change from um, Peter's denial here now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him, saying you also were with Jesus of, Naz- of Galilee but he denied it before them all saying I don't know what you're saying and when he had gone out to the gateway another girl saw him and said to those who were there this guy here also was with Jesus of Nazareth But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know him. Now, Peter is becoming more and more uncomfortable. And the point that we made on Sunday is Peter feeling in his strong suit. What was his strong suit? His physical strength and his personal courage. Though they all deny you, not me. I'm gonna die with you. And um, when it happened a third time, After a while, Mark's gospel tells us it's an hour between that event and what happens next. And after a while, those who stood by came to him and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them because you speak like a Galilean. Evidently, the Galileans had their own special little accent that they picked up on. Then, the unthinkable, he began to curse and swear. He says, I do not know the man And immediately the rooster crowed. The other gospels add to this that when this happened, while the rooster was crowing, Jesus turns, looks at Peter. Peter turns and looks at the Lord. And Peter is completely broken at this point. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He did something he thought he would never, ever do. And he did it three times. And, um, Again, the importance of all the Gospels, putting the emotion together here on Sunday, we went to uh, John 21, where the Lord asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter basically was making the case, Lord, you really don't know me, because if you really knew me, you know that I would never do this. Well, we just read a little bit earlier that Jesus, knowing all things, um, knew that Peter was going to deny him. And the the study we, I hope some of you were Bereans and went home and checked me out when I did the three Greek words of eros, phileo, and agape. uh, Because it really changes the whole meaning of what's going on there. And Peter is confessing, Lord, I'm not not where I should be. I should be um, in a place of loving you that I really would lay down my life. Greater love has no man than this, than a man would lay down his life for for his friend. And so the wording there, agape, phileo, agape, phileo, and then Jesus using the word friend or phileo, Lord, you know all things. Finally, Peter gets it. He said, Lord, you know my heart. I thought I knew my heart, but I don't even know my own heart. You said I would do this. I said I wouldn't. You were right. I was wrong. And then The last uh, thing we ended with was Peter in his epistles never again uses the word phileo. It's always agape in his his, his writing, for the Lord and about the Lord. So that brings us to uh, the rooster crowing. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus and said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Then he went out and wept bitterly. He was a broken man. And um, um, sometimes when we think we know ourselves, the Lord lets us fail in the area that we think we're strongest in. And I'm pretty sure we quoted the scriptures without, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, uh, for without me, you, you can do nothing. You can learn that the easy way or the hard way. On the flip side, when you know that um, it's the Lord working in you, then you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's a matter of abiding. And that brings us to chapter 27. When morning had come, okay, this would have been a long night. And um, the Lord was awake all night. And when morning came, the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Why? Because they do not have the authority to do this. In Genesis chapter 49, you don't have to turn to it, I'll turn to it and just read it, is a prophecy uh, it says, a scepter shall not depart from Judah. A scepter is a, so, a sign of authority. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. This is one of the first prophecies in the Bible about Jesus. Shiloh is in reference uh, to the Lord when he comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. It's an Old Testament prophecy about the coming of Shiloh and the scepter of authority. Here, the authority is, they don't have the authority for capital punishment. They can make their case before Pilate, but um, uh, Pilate's in a state of mind, as we're gonna see here, he doesn't want anything to do with this. He doesn't even know what's going on. He's heard about Jesus but now, um, right before he's examined, we talk a little bit about Judas Iscariot. And we read, then Judas, his betrayer, remember it said when he was at the Last Supper that this Satan entered Judas Iscariot. It's the only place before I think the Antichrist is possessed by the devil, when he is uh, killed in Revelation 13, he has a fatal head wound, but then he comes back to life again. Right before that, in chapter 12, remember Satan is kicked out of heaven, and I believe that he fit, personally is going to possess the Antichrist. I, wouldn't, I would not be dogmatic about what I just said. I will be dogmatic because scripture says That after the Last Supper, and I'll just go to it real quick, from, I shouldn't do this because it's not my notes. (laughs) And it could be in another one of the Gospels. After after Judas um, um, got up from the table, it says the devil entered him. So this is, I don't know if uh, the devil leaves him now in verse 3, and he realizes what he has done, but remember, he's still a thief. It says he's remorseful, but he's not repentive. remorseful. Verse 3, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, his job was done, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. Now again, as we teach through the scriptures, um, I'm going to. I really want you to turn in your Bibles. Actually, turn the pages, because I really want you to be able to connect the dots between the old and the new, and how many times prophecy is a part of an average Bible study, or at least should be. It should be emphasized, not deemphasized. So let's turn back to Zechariah. Zechariah is the second last book in the Old Testament. Turn to chapter 11. Should be really easy to find. Just go to the last two books of the Old Testament. The last one is Malachi. The one before it um, is Zechariah. In chapter 11 and verse 12, it says, Then I said to them, If it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain so they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that pricely price that set, they set on me. That's the Lord speaking. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord for the potter. Now let's go back to um, Matthew 27. He realizes that the Lord was guilty of nothing. And so he comes back now in verse four, he's fulfilled Zechariah chapter 11. This is the prophecy being fulfilled right here. Saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, so what is that to us? You see to it. In other words, we could care less. That's your problem. Buddy, that's not my problem. Then they threw down the pieces of silver then he, Judas, put down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and he hanged himself. So Judas couldn't handle his guilt and what he did to the Lord. And remember that Jesus said, the one that about Judas said it would be better if this man was never born. And even though he was remorseful I don't believe we're going to see Judas Iscariot in heaven. Otherwise, the Lord would never have said it would have not have been better for this man to ever been born. <clears throat> now, now, it is the problem of the, of the chief priest. So verse 6, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them into the treasury because it's, a, it's the price of blood money. All of a sudden, these guys got a conscience. That's blood money. We gave this money to have somebody killed. We can't take it back now and and put it in the treasury. And so they took counsel and, and bought with them the potter's field, just like Zachariah said, to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and it's also in Zechariah 11, also in Jeremiah, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel pierced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord had directing them. And here they think they're doing, they're just, They have no idea that they're just following marching orders because God knew exactly what was going to happen. They have to do this. They have to take this 30 pieces of silver. They actually have to buy the potter's field. Why? Because Zechariah says so. It's written. And my point here is if it's written, like Jesus said earlier, this has to happen. So everything that we, if if we look at the scriptures in a way that Nothing's going to change. If this book says it, like I said, this is the most valuable tool and resource that we own. And you can know for a certainty uh, how it's all going to turn out. The only thing that the Lord tells us to do is make sure you don't make the same mistake that Lot's wife made. And that's by looking back and thinking that you're missing out on something in this world. Remember the story of the guy with the bigger barns. You can be working for it all now and you could die tomorrow. And then what? It's much better to be faithful in whatever the Lord has given you to do now and he'll reward you openly for it later. Oh, there's such a good Bible study in this. I'm so torn. Um, but when the Lord made Adam, what did he make him out of? clay dirt in other words you're dirt (laughs) and I'm dirt and he breathed in the nostril and he became a living being a living spirit but basically Adam was whole I believe that he was full of light and when Adam and Eve sinned there was a noticeable difference and all of a sudden um, he had a death sentence upon him he'd lived to be 900 and something years old but he's basically clay and basically clay that when a man dies dust to dust ashes to ashes you're broken and the only way that we as people of clay can basically what we are is a picture of this right here um, they went and bought a potter's field. Now, what does a potter do with when he's working on his his uh, vase or whatever, whatever, on his wheel and he's spinning it? Oh, that one broke. He takes it and he throws it out the back door. It, it's it's no good, but now it's been redeemed for thirty pieces of silver. It's bought. And it's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of you and I. We're, we're clay vessels that have been broken. And the only way that it can be redeemed, you can't use that 30 pieces of silver. That was the price for Jesus. It was the price of Jesus that bought that field. It was the blood of Jesus that bought us. And we're the broken vessels. And it's just a, a beautiful picture here and a whole study within itself. I, don't, I, had, I wish I had more time to develop it. I do not. Now we switch gears, and he has taken, in verse 11, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Now, this is in red letters for me. I have a prophecy Bible. and It's got a J by, by it because this also is a prophecy. And again, I want to take you back to the book of Isaiah. So please turn with me. Isaiah is right in the middle of of this, Isaiah chapter 53. And Pilate just cannot, he's watching this man. And he's watching how he's handling himself. He's never seen a man under such self-control with the death sentence being asked for him. He's making no defense whatsoever for himself. In Isaiah 53, verse 7 It says, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Turn from here to Acts chapter 8 in the New Testament, verse 32, and we have, the story of Philip leaving the revival in Samaria to the Gaza Strip. And he doesn't even know why he's going. The Lord just tells him to go. When he gets there, he sees this guy in a chariot who's from Ethiopia. He was in Jerusalem, and he was what I would call an honest seeker. I believe he went to Jerusalem because he heard that's where God is to be worshiped. Just like the Samaritan said, well, you Jews say that in the temples where you worship. So I imagine that's why this guy's in Jerusalem. But he doesn't find what he's looking for. And it says in verse 28, he was returning from Jerusalem, sitting in his chariot. He, He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you have any idea what you're reading? (laughs) And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him, and the place in the scripture which he read was, happened to be Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb silent before its shears, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, And who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, is the prophet speaking of himself or some other man? And Philip used that scripture and preached Jesus to him. So we have it in Isaiah. Let's go back to Matthew 27 and put this all together now. And the last thing we read is Pilate marveled he, that he answered not one word so that the governor greatly marveled. Marveled at what? That with all these accusations, he kept silent. It's a prophecy from Isaiah 53 that the eunuch from Ethiopia just happened to be reading <laughs> and Philip just used it and he said, well, this is all about Jesus. It's what happened to him when he was brought before um, the rulers. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner who they wished. Now, this was something they did on a Passover to try to give some favor with the people that they would let a prisoner of their choice go free. So if you had a relative that was doing time, uh, this, was, this was your time to get your friends together, make your case to let that person out. But there had been a notorious prisoner whose name was Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to him, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him. Pilate's not dumb. He sees what's going on. These guys are jealous. Matter of fact, it says in John's gospel, the reason they want to kill Jesus, if we don't get rid of this guy, he's going to take our place because everybody is following Jesus and they're not interested in our authority anymore. That's one of the five reasons in John's gospel that they want to get rid of the Lord. They were worried about their position and their place and Pilate sees right through it. He says, I'm basically saying, I'm not dumb guys. I can see what's going on here. You're jealous. You want to get rid of him. Verse 18 tells us as much. For he knew that because of envy, they had delivered him. He wasn't guilty. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, now his wife comes to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So all the scripture tells us. But somehow, the Lord was communicating to Pilate's wife um, what was really happening, that Jesus is absolutely innocent and make sure that you don't get yourself entangled up in it because I don't think she wanted any part of it. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So the governor answered and said to them, well, which of the two do you want me to release to They said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, well, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. Now the other gospels tell us that um, um, several times he spoke to the crowds, he examined him, and he said, I find no fault in this man. Now that's important, because Jesus is going to be a picture of the Passover lamb. And before you could take your lamb and have him offered, he had to be inspected. There couldn't be any blemish in the lamb. He had to be blameless and blemish. If there was a blemish found on him, You couldn't use him as as an alternative for your sacrifice. So it was important that Pilate scrutinized Jesus, and every time he came back, he said, I find no fault with this man. He wants nothing to do with this. Verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising. In other words, trouble's coming, and it's his job as governor to keep order, and he sees, he sees trouble coming, and now he's uh, in a corner. He's gonna give them what they want, but he's gonna make it plain when he says he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. And I want to see if I want to go any farther. I can read up to verse 28 and we'll leave it at that. Pilate washes his hands. He wants nothing to do with this. And then they released Barabbas to them. Well, here's a whole other Bible study. Um, I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. I'm the one who's guilty, but yet Jesus is the one who's going to be innocent, and he's crucified, and you and I get to go free. So we have a whole other Bible study right there. Then they released Dwight to, to them, and put your name in there. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Actually, the scourging here we can talk a little bit about. Um, The Roman scourging was used to get the prisoner to speak of his crime. Jesus is going to get 39 lashes. Now, the Romans would give you this sentence, 40 lashes minus one. And to... Tried to get whatever information they could out of you, of your crime, they would start off easy. If you're going to get the first, if you're going to get 40 minus one, um, the first one would go, and if they'd say, All right, you better start talking, or if we're going to get, it's going to get worse. Okay, the thief said, Well, it didn't hurt much, so he doesn't say anything. Next one's a little bit harder. Still no confession, and it escalates all the way up. Maybe by the time you get to 15, and you're a prisoner, you say, "All right, I have an, I've had enough. I did it. I did it. I did it. Knock off with the whip already." What if you have nothing to confess? He had nothing to confess. He received the full 39 blows, and they only intensified as um, the Romans. Um, that's one of the great things about going to Israel they bring in a lot of the customs and the things that the Romans did and and try to get a confession out of a prisoner and um, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him This is a perfect place for us to stop because of where we're going on Sunday. And um, I will leave it right there. And let's stand and let's pray. Lord, as we consider that we are broken vessels, uh, we've been purchased by your blood. And we see this fulfillment of Bible prophecy that for the 30 pieces of silver you purchased the potter's field, the broken pieces of clay that we all are, Lord, and you have redeemed us. And we also, Lord, see that we have to admit we're no different than Barabbas in thought, word, or deed, and yet he's the one who got to go free, and you were the one that went to the cross for us. Lord, as we make our way through this portion of scripture, I pray that we can take our time, connect the dots, see that these things have to take place because it has been written. And Lord, we're just grateful for the knowledge that you give us as we study your word. And we see that it is inerrant, it was, it's without error, that everything that you said must take place will take place. And it will all take place in a generation that sees the nation of Israel once again regathered. So, Lord, as we close tonight, we pray again for perseverance, endurance, discernment, and um, just the tenacity, Lord, to never, ever ponder about looking back like Lot's wife. But just to stay the course and be faithful to whatever it is that you've entrusted us to be involved with. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.